After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Since being runner-up on the 1987 series of New Faces, Joe Pasquale has become a staple of British light entertainment. Achieving royal approval, Joe has been a firm favourite at many royal variety performances since 1993 and has been responsible for many unforgettable moments in the presence of royalty. Continuing the variety theme, Joe can now be seen on a successful revival of Tonight at the London Palladium alongside long associate Bradley Walsh. I caught up with the one-timed king of the jungle to talk entertainment, comedy heroes and life on the road. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Joe Pasquale. Am I looking at you, Ben, or looking at Josh? You can look at Josh. Can uh, I look at you as well? All his questions, I'm literally just here can to look read at you. As well? You can look at me if you like. I'm looking at you with the question, look at you then, Josh. That sounds good. I want to you to be reasonable looking at you because I've been philippist. Right. Okay, uh, can I take you back to 1993 Royal Variety performance? It wasn't strictly your first TV debut. Um, however, uh, it was a significant appearance in shaping the rest of your career. Yes. How did this go about? Uh, how did it go about? Yeah. How did it come about? You know, how did I yeah. get on it? Yeah. Well, I was doing a summer season with Billy Pierce in Blackpool, and uh, I think it was, um, I've forgotten his name there, was it? Uh, the, the, all the people that do the bookings for it, um, oh, God, I don't think his name has to be really embarrassing, don't say his right name, I'll go back to it in a minute. Uh, yeah, no, excuse me. There's a bloke that books it. Laurie. Laurie, I see, he knows. Yeah, he I was doing a summer season with Billy Pierce in Blackpool at the Grand, and uh, Laurie Mansfield came to see the show, and uh, and he didn't know what he was going to book, and every night I'd dive on my backside, every night in front of this Blackpool audience, doing weird stuff, you know, like Thunderbirds and setting the big chicken's bum on fire and stuff like that. And the night that Laurie came to see the show, um, for some reason or other, they laughed. Mm. I died on my ass every night for like three months before and the night he came, they were the knickers at it and he just came around the back and he said, oh, what are you doing on this day? I said, I don't think I'm doing anything. He said, do you want to come to the Royal Variety Show? So I said, yeah, do I, to meet the Queen. And that was it. Um, and as I say, you never look back. Okay, but of course, uh, as I've just mentioned, it wasn't your first brush with the big TV show because in 1978, you were a uh, runner-up. 1987. 1980, yes, see? 1987, sorry. Uh, you were runner-up on New Faces. How did this provide a great insight into the workings of the business? And uh, was Tony Hatch as scary as Simon Cowell? Well, I didn't have Tony Hatch on for a start. I had Nina Mishkow, or Mishkow, whatever you want to call her name. Tony Hatch was a previous series. And um, I didn't have any problems with any of it at all because when I, I went and done that, all I was doing was calling bingo and referee and wrestling at holiday camp. So for me to go and do that, it was just, I'd go back to work on the next, you know, after I'd done that, it's fine, go back to calling bingo. So when I got there, it was a, a little bit of a, oh, blimey, you know, everybody's a little bit serious about this. And I wasn't, I'd only gone down to muck about. I went to the audition and all they had was one joke. And the joke I had was a tiny little guitar out of a big guitar case. 
And it was just exactly the same as Britain's Got Talent there. You had three people sitting there, which is a producer, director and a casting agent. And then there was queues of people outside waiting to get an audition. And I just said, I've got, uh, this is my joke. Uh, it's a lovely song. And I pulled this tiny guitar out of a big guitar case. And it's called Spanish Folk Song called The Mooshes Do Gee. And I just went, The Mooshes Do Gee in the window like that. And, uh, and I smashed the guitar up like I was like some rock and roller. And I smashed it. It was only a little toy ukulele thing. And I pretended to go into one. And then uh, they found out what they said, we want you to do the show. So, but I ain't got an act. So, what's right to do what you've done there for five minutes? I went, right then. And I did that, won the heat and come second in the grand final. Once again, never look back, still here. <laughs> okay, uh, one of the great influences on your career was the great Bob Monkhouse. Why do you think he remained so interested in up-and-coming comedy right until his death in 2003? Uh, Bob Monkhouse, for me, I had have, I have three mentors. I still do two of them, thankfully, are still alive. One of them is Ken Dodd, and the other one is Des O'Connor. And um, they've all been great helps and influences to me. Uh, Bob, Bob was a genius. He really was a genius. I don't mean that, you know, I'm not saying that lightly. I say that about a lot of comics, but Bob really was. He was severely OCD as well. You know, he couldn't cope with anything being out of place. He had all the, like, he had like 40 years of the TV Times. And every, every listing in it, if something was wrong, a different director was listed or a different time, everything had to be penciled in, he had to change it. He had copies of everything. He had videos of everything, everybody was videoing it. He had like, every, every room in the house had a video in, and he was taking everything all the time. Any comedy shows, he was being taped. He wanted to stay abreast of what was going on in the comedy world. And, you know, when, uh, the birth, if you want to call it, of alternative comedy came through, he came through that and started doing, you know, Mock the Week and all sorts of stuff. Uh, have I got news for you? I don't think he was doing Mock the Week, but Mock the Week was after Bob. But have I got news for you? I remember that was a, a huge, thing for him to go on and, and uh, be accepted by the new wave of comics and it was something that, that meant a lot to him as it does to me as well. It's easy to forget now but when you had your first taste of success during the mid-90s your style of comedy had been almost forgotten about. So-called alternative comedy was now into its second decade and comedy became like rock and roll with people like Lee Evans, the Mighty Boosh playing at big stadiums. In what ways did your generation, Bradley Walsh, Brian Connolly, um, make traditional comedy relevant in 21st century Britain? I don't think that's a valid question anyway, if I'm really honest with you, Josh. I think that comedy is funny and that's it. It's why, um, either funny is funny or it's not funny. I don't see any boundaries in alternative or mainstream. You can go back to Charlie Chaplin. What, what, what was that? That's still funny. Monkham um, and Wires, they were predated, all that sort of stuff. Um, my favourites were the free, uh, free Stooges, I used to love all that sort of gear. I think funny is funny, regardless whether it's alternative or mainstream. And the only relevance to it, the only, the only thing that I can say is, you know, admittedly, not everybody likes the same thing. But the past, this year, I've been doing the comedy store, I did the, uh, Bound Comedy Festival, working with people like, um, uh, who was on John, John Maloney, I was on with Joe Lysett a couple of weeks ago, uh, Ramesh Ranganathan at the comedy store, Sean Walsh. So I think there's been an acceptance. I think now there is no divide. I think the only you know, uh, distinction is if it's funny or if it's not funny. So I don't think it's a case of making something relevant in the 21st century. I just think, is it funny? And that's it for me. If it's not funny, then don't do it. If it is funny, then do it. That makes sense. One of your most memorable things about you is the songs. And I'm thinking of one in particular. Now, note the irony in this question. Do you get annoyed by having to sing 
I know a song that'll get on your nerves. To be honest, I know a song I know will get on your nerves. I know a song that'll get on, I know get on your nerves. See, that's how much I do it. I can't even remember it. I haven't done that in the act for years and years and years. People do it to me all the time, but mm-hmm. I'm not done it. doesn't annoy me in the slightest. I only did it as a bet once, about 20 odd years ago. Bobby Davro said to me, I bet you won't go on tonight and sing that. So I went, yeah, I will. And of course I did it and it worked. So I went, I'll keep that in then. And that was it, really. It wasn't a big conscious decision. And then people still sing it to me. So I, the only time I really do it is in panto most of the time. Kids love it. Kids still love to sing it long, so it kills an easy five minutes in the panto. <laughs> um, obviously, we're in the presence of royalty because in 2004, you reigned supreme as king of the jungle in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. What's the worst thing to live with, uh, the bugs or the Zedlis celebrities? See, by saying that, you put me in the Zedlis celebrities then as well. That's what you've done there. See, I see what you've done there. Yeah, that's what you've done there, John. Um, no, the bugs, I think the hardest thing is the boredom. Because you see an hour a day of Ant and Dec making it look fun. Oh, look, they jumped out of the plane today. Then they did that. Then they walked across his catwalk. Then he fell over. Then he got his face in the mud. Then I was covered in that and goo. And there was insects in her ears. She snorted one up her nose. Then they had kangaroos. Mm. What a great day it's been, right? That's what you see on the telly. That's what you see on the telly. In real life of doing it, there's another 23 hours where nothing happens other than people argue and fart all day. And that is it. And that's the hardest thing, is the boredom. It's not the people out there, it's not the eating. For me, you know, not eating, not drinking. You know, you drink as much water as you want, it's out of the river and it smells of fart. But apart from that, it's fine. The hardest thing is just, you know, keeping your mind occupied because it's so boring. Really boring. Really boring. Oh, I can imagine, actually. Uh, in 2006, you followed in the footsteps of Les- Leslie Crawther and Bob- Bruce Forsyth when you fronted The Price is Right. Yeah. Why do you think this format proves so enduring? People like um, nostalgia for a start, really, Josh, that's why. People like to watch the stuff they grew up watching telly with. We all like that sort of stuff. And, you know, and anything that's tried and tested, that's, what, that's the beauty of it, which is why it's coming back again now with uh, Alan Carr, because no one can think up with a better idea, basically. So why don't we just, you know, rehash something that's already been done that we know is a success? And it was getting on for 10 years ago that I last done it, so it is due for another, you know, rehash on it now. And I think Alan Carr will be brilliant on it. He's great at game shows anyway, so um, I think it's just people like what they know. And that's it, basically. It's a lot easier. It's quite a cheap show to put on as well. Uh, presently, we can see you alongside your old mucker, Bradley Walsh, in Tonight at the London Palladium. What's the secret to that show, success and longevity? I think one of the secrets is Brad, for a start, because everybody loves Brad, you know, and he likes to surround himself with people that he's familiar with and that he likes and that he, and, you know, we've been best mates for 35 years. So whenever I'm on the show with him, we, you know, for a start, we don't rehearse at all. I just say, Squeaky will come out, he calls him Squeaky, Squeaky will come out and do that. And then we sit in the dressing room for a couple of minutes and go, what, what am I doing then? I don't know, do whatever. And so that's for my part of it, but for the general working of the show, um, I think it's the host. The host always brings it together, that keeps it together. Without Brad, I don't think it would work. There aren't many people that can do what he does, that can sing, act, dance, um, do the comedy, particularly his comedy, you know, off the top. He doesn't, he wins it. He's winged it for 35 years. You know, um, we've gone out on so many gigs, hundreds, thousands of times. I've lost count how many times we've worked together. And he doesn't prepare for that sort of stuff. He goes out and he's, he's the best ad libber out there. He's great. I think that's the secret of the success is Brad. Uh, looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? 
I think my proudest achievement is still being in it after 30 years, really. You know, when I first started out, I never thought I'd, you know, last a year, I thought just go out and have a laugh. And 30 years later, I'm still here mucking about, really, Josh. It wasn't a plan, it was just, you know, I didn't want to do a normal job. Um, so I think that's it. You know, I was told, I was taught early on to be a success in the business. It isn't about doing telly, it isn't about doing films, not about doing West End, it's about earning a living in the business. If you can earn a living in the business, then you're successing it because a lot of people can't, a lot of people don't. Uh, so I think that's it for me, still being here and still enjoying it as well. If I wasn't enjoying it, I wouldn't do it. And last but not least, what's next? What's next for me, Josh, is very, very exciting. Uh, next year, I, apart from doing Panto in Bristol when I finish the, the tour, and then uh, next year start rehearsing at the end of January for a stage version of Some Mothers Do Have Them, um, with me playing Frank Spencer, written by... Um, the original writer has been written by this this new play has been written by Guy Unsworth I worked with on Spamalots and but it's based on the original scripts of Ray Allen as you know um, lives over here mm. and he wrote the original series so um, yeah that's what I'm looking forward to on that six months of um, playing Frank Spencer no acting required you've got to be yourself mm. excellent yeah we've actually interviewed Ray Allen yeah uh, we did one with him earlier in the year yeah did he mention it he didn't mention it at the time he said yeah, that's I it. I think that's when you released it. And yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But that's that's it. Thank you. You've got much enough. For is that okay? Absolutely perfect. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much to our guests for being the subject to another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.